Well, for those of you who uh, didn't know it, we had an election, and we have a result. And I'm not going to discuss results because that's up to God, but I am going to discuss this. We have an obligation, and that obligation is to pray. 1 Timothy 2 Verse 1 says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So for just a few minutes this morning before we get into the lesson, I would like us just to spend a few minutes in prayer. Um, Regardless of what you wanted to have happen and what did happen and what your political persuasion is, we have an obligation to pray. Uh, I will confess that over the years I have not prayed for any of our presidents very much. Um, When they do well, I love them. When they do poorly, I can't stand them. Um, Doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat. But I have not prayed for them. And so what I want to do is we're just going to pray for our new president-elect. So... uh, Let's do that right now. Just in the quietness there at your table, would you lift up Barack Obama and just lift him up to the Lord that God would work in his life. I pray that he would be surrounded by people of integrity and righteousness. And would you be willing to make a commitment to the Lord right now that you will pray for him throughout this year? Now pray for a a spirit of unity within this country in the days ahead. Father, we come to you this morning and we are reminded at times like this that you are in control. I pray that we never put our faith and our trust in any man, but that we put our faith and trust in you. Father, you put men on thrones and you take men off thrones. You are the ultimate king of kings. And Father, we pray for this country. We, we pray for this, this city, for this state. We pray for all of those individuals who have been elected to office all, all over this country. That, Father, you will raise up 
people of integrity, people of honesty, people who will put the needs of the people ahead of their own. And Father, we realize that the only way that can happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. And I just pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, send people, individuals, amongst those in leadership to share the gospel, that we could see a transformation take place in Washington and in cities and capitals all across this country. But Father, this morning as we meet and as we talk and share and we discuss this issue of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may we be transformed this morning more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the perfect man, the ideal man. Speak to us this morning and again, change us from the inside out so that when we walk out of here, we would not be the same men who walked in, but that we would be spirit-controlled and spirit-led. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study. I am man. And uh, we've covered uh, quite a few topics. We've talked about the, being a man of excellence. Jesus was a man of excellence. We've talked about being a, a man who has passion, uh, passion for the things of God. We talked about being a man of uh, selflessness, giving your life away, dying to self, Uh, being willing to put others first, God's will, God's way, God's kingdom first over your own little kingdom, your own little will, your own little way. And then we've talked about being a man who is a respecter of women. And this morning we're going to take a a little bit of a turn, and it's, uh, it's kind of an obvious discussion, but it's also one that's a little bit different, I think, uh, because of the way we're going to look at it. Every one of the qualities we've looked at, Jesus Christ had in 100% perfection. Because he is the God-man. He is 100% God, 100% man. So he was able to do these things in complete perfection. And if you're like me, you, you might be getting at this point a little uh, depressed because, you know, I can't pull this off. I am not Jesus. Uh, but this morning, I'm, we're going to look at something that made this possible for Jesus. And it may be different than what you expect. It's definitely different than what I tended to have thought about Jesus. Because when I think of Jesus as the God-man, what I think of is this, this interesting blend of deity and humanity to where he just, he never had to struggle and ne- nothing was ever hard for him. And he just was inherently just divine. And he was. But there was a unique quality that... That really has struck me over the last few weeks as I've looked at this that I've never thought about before. And I don't know why. I've never heard a sermon on it. I've never heard a study on it. Uh, maybe you guys have. But it has to do with the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Um, and it's, it's one that I think will change the way you look at him. And it also will change the way you look at the Holy Spirit's role in your own life. Jesus is our model, he's our standard, he's our our archetype of what it means to be a man. We've talked about that for weeks now. And how did he pull it off? And if we just keep saying, well, he was divine, he was divine, he was divine, then we will never be able to relate to what he did. And again, Christmas is coming up in just a few months. And we talk about the incarnation. We talk about God taking on human flesh. And living amongst us, he tabernacled with us, he pitched his tent with us. 
But what we lose sight of the fact is that God worked through human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. What is he doing today? The same thing. He is working through human flesh, yours and mine. He's still doing the same thing. He did it through Jesus, taking the form of human flesh, and he's doing it through us today. And and hopefully this lesson will inspire you that I can really do what he's called me to do. I can really be this kind of a man, a man like Jesus, because of what he's given me to empower me to do it. This is a a verse that we're all familiar with, and it has to do with this issue of of the spirit of God. God living within you and I, it says, but I say walk by the Spirit. It means basically live your life by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. This is the battle you and I have every stinking day, isn't it? To either walk by the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, or live by the flesh. It's one or the other, and we go back and forth. Well, he goes on, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Up until the point when Jesus Christ came, took on human flesh, what had man struggled with? This exact thing. The ability to live in the flesh and be led by the spirit. They weren't indwelled by the Spirit. They sometimes became indwelled for short periods of time, but they had no internal capacity to pull off what they had been called to do. It was all in the flesh. And what was the result? Failure after failure after failure. And then here comes Jesus. Takes on human flesh. Same kind of flesh I have, same kind of flesh you have. He hungered, he cried, he wept, he got tired, he hurt, stubbed his toe, it hurt. He had the same kind of flesh you and I have, but something was different. And that's what we want to look at at this morning. And it was the presence of the Spirit. But before we get into that, what what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Again, many of you probably have memorized this verse. You've studied this verse. You've heard sermons about this verse. But what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? These are all terms that we hear. What does it mean to be indwelled by the Spirit? And what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? You know, we, we hear these terms and they just kind of go in one ear and out the other. We interchange them. We get them confused. We, we don't necessarily understand what it means. But we do know what it means to be controlled by the flesh, don't we? Because we live it out every day. We're to do one or the other. But if we don't understand what this is, how will we ever pull it off? So we're going to start off with that. Jesus is the ultimate example of being spirit-filled. And this, this is the part that I guess I've never seen in 53 years of living and growing up in a pastor's home and saved at seven and spent all my waking moments growing up in a church. I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus being spirit-filled. See, my warped view of the Trinity was you got God, the, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and there are these three beings that are one. I can't explain the Trinity. I'm not about to try this morning, but... They're not like one inside the other. You know, it's, that just sounds odd to me. But as I study the scriptures and as I've looked at this, Jesus was spirit-filled. And that's how he lived his life. When he came to the earth and took on human flesh, he was spirit-filled. The scriptures teach us that. And we're going to look at passages about that. And that's the capacity by which he was able to live out 
in human flesh this perfect life. This perfect life. The Spirit, over and over again, shows up in the life of Jesus from beginning to end. And you, you just, again, we blow past it. We don't notice it. We don't think about it. And yet, the Holy Spirit plays a major role in the life of this God-man, Jesus Christ. Real quickly, his conception and birth. Look at this. Luke one thirty-five. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Basically, it's telling us that Jesus Christ was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. I can't explain that. I don't understand it. But the Holy, the Holy Spirit played a major role even in the conception of Jesus in the flesh. The Holy Spirit's all over his life. How about his baptism? We're all familiar with this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends out of heaven, John sees it, others see it, and descends on him. He, he gets this anointing by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. John gives this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at his conception. The Holy Spirit was at his baptism. He was a part of his preaching. Listen to that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. How is he teaching? In the power of the Holy Spirit. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up and read, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit of God to preach to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord." How did he do this? He, he preached. Everything he said, everything he did was in the power and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Again, maybe you've, you've heard that all your life. Maybe you have no problem with that. I have never heard that preached. I have never heard that taught. The role the Holy Spirit played in his ministry. And I can relate to that because I want that same power. I want that same ability. I want that same anointing. He closes the book, he gives it back to the attendant, he sits down, all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's the fulfillment of that prophecy that the Holy Spirit was going to anoint him, come upon him, and empower him to preach, to teach, to heal, to proclaim, to release. How? Under the power of the Holy Spirit. How about his ministry? Matthew 12, 18, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. His entire ministry was empowered by and made possible by the Holy Spirit. Again, we don't think about that when we think of Jesus. We just think of Jesus the God-man. He's God, so what's the problem? But he, because of his human flesh, needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that kind of amazing? You know, I'm, I'm thinking if, if Jesus is all God and he takes on human flesh, isn't that all he needs? 
Isn't that enough? No. He needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's the complete package. It's God the Father. It's God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ the Son. If he needed the Holy Spirit, don't we? I mean, don't we need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull this off? I don't know about you, but I'm not divine. At least the last time I checked. So I need it all the more than he does. How about in his miracles? A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. He healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Then there's a gap. In that gap, there's a conversation or an accusation made by the Pharisees that he did it because of Satan. He's doing this because he's under the control of Satan. Jesus responds, he says, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not doing this by Satan's power. I'm doing it by what's, whose power? The Spirit of God. And the kingdom has indeed come. So even Jesus confessed, What I've just done, healing this man, casting out the demon, I did by what? The power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in his life. How about his temptation? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized. Remember, the dove descended, the Holy Spirit descended, came upon him, remained on him. That was the sign to John. But he obviously didn't just sit on his shoulder like a bird. He indwelled him. He filled him. And he returned from the Jordan, was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. You know what's interesting about this story to me? You ever been led by the Holy Spirit to do something and you sit there and go, what in the world did you just ask me to do? I could have sworn God told me to do this. And this has turned out to be the biggest train wreck I've ever been involved in. This could not be the hand of God. Do you have any thought that maybe Jesus went through that? I mean, the Holy Spirit, he gets baptized. He's starting his ministry. What a wonderful time. And he spends the next stinking 40 days wandering in the wilderness fasting i'm thinking the 100 percent man side of jesus is going i missed something somewhere you know this is how it starts this is my ministry see he was 100 percent man yes he was 100 percent god but you can't negate the fact that he had all the feelings you and i have and he struggled i think he struggled with you know i'm kind of hungry here the Holy Spirit told me to come here? And then after 40 days of hungering, then here comes the enemy. The Holy Spirit led him. And oftentimes in my life and your life, you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit to do things that you're going to scratch your head and go, how in the world could this be of God? How did he get me here? Did I, did I miss it? Did I misunderstand him? But he was being led, he was filled by, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the God-man, was deeply dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you hear nothing else this morning, Jesus was deeply dependent on the role of the Holy Spirit in his life. When the Holy Spirit said, go into the wilderness, and I want you to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, eat nothing, he did it. He listened. He was dependent. As hungry as he may have been, he did it. He was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 
He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was filled by the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. And he was led by the Holy Spirit. Again, if he needed this, if he submitted to this, if he allowed the Holy Spirit to play this kind of a role in his life, how much more so should we? See, he's our example. He's our model. He's what we should follow if we're going to be truly men of God, true, masculine, godly men. And this is probably the most important lesson we've done in this series because I look around the room and I look at myself in the mirror in the mornings and I have to admit that I spend way too much of my life not being led by the Spirit of God. I am under the control of the flesh. I do what the flesh wants to do. I do what my spirit wants to do. I do what the world tells me to do. I panic. I get angry. I take matters into my own hands. And yet I have been called, and you have been called, if you are in Christ, to be a different kind of a man. What will make you a different kind of man? Will it be memorizing more scripture, going to yet another Bible study, getting in BSF? Will it be you know, going to seminary? What will make you that kind of a man? It's this. It is being filled by, anointed by, conceived by, because technically you're conceived as a believer. You're conceived by the Holy Spirit. It is all of these things being true in your life. That is the only way we will be the kind of men we've been called to be, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that sets you apart from any other man than walking, walking the streets of Fort Worth. Any other man you work with, Any of your neighbors who aren't in Christ, the only thing that will ever set you apart isn't the fact that you go to church, because many of them do. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer this morning, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how do we follow his example, guys? If Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, if he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, how do we follow his example? Um, what's, how do we pull this off? If you and I are going to be effective at this thing called being a godly man, we've got to be spirit-filled men. And we're going to look at some definitions, and this is not going to be a doctrinal study on the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave a ton of stuff out, but I just want to go over a couple of things that I think will help you understand this issue of what it means to have the Holy Spirit within you, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, it all gets real confusing. And it's the reason many of us, I think, don't live the lives we've been called to live. So what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? So let's look at just a couple of definitions. The first one is indwelling. Over in 1 Corinthians 6.19 it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You're all familiar with this verse. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you if you're a believer he is in you you've received him from God you are not your own your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that's just not some kind of a metaphor it's it's reality that he indwells you he lives within you okay that's real important for you to understand it's it's true of every man in this room who has placed his faith in Jesus Christ regardless of how you may be living your life right now, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It takes place at salvation. 
As soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as soon as you place your faith in Him, however you want to describe that process, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So it takes place at salvation. All believers are indwelled. Now you may sit there and go, well, the guy across the table, I've got some real questions about it. I'm really not sure if he has the Holy Spirit. Okay, if he is a believer, he is indwelled, okay? Every single believer. It has nothing to do with your current spiritual condition. This is real important. Uh, you don't, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. You know, he doesn't vacate the premises because it's dirty and go, whoo, man, you've trashed this place out. I'm going somewhere else. He stays and he indwells. And that's real important as we get into this. It'll, it'll change the way you think about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't leave. And sin does not indicate a lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you see sin in your life, you see sin in someone else's life, it's not automatically time to deduce that, well, you must not have the Holy Spirit. And you lay hands on them and you smack them in the forehead and you, you know, whatever you... You slay them in the Spirit. No, they don't need that. They just need to start listening to the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit indwells them. It takes place at salvation. Sin is not an indication that he's gone or not there. An absence of the Holy Spirit in anybody's life means they're not even saved. Okay? If they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life, they are unsaved. Now, there are times when you see somebody's life and there's a condition of perpetual sin and they just never um, live the life they've been called to live. And I think it's okay at times to deduce after time that there's a pattern here. I don't see any fruit. I don't see anything happening. They may be unsaved because there seems to be no presence of the Spirit in their lives. Romans 8 9 says this, You however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit, speaking to Christians, if the, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a believer. So bottom line is, you're a believer, you've placed your faith in Christ, guess what you get? The Holy Spirit indwelling you. He takes up residence in your life. So what's filling you know, we hear about this a lot, you know, uh, being filled with the Spirit. It talks about Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Jesus did not receive, I don't believe, Jesus received the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Because that would infer he didn't have him up to that point. Which is a really dangerous road to go down. I believe if he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit from the moment of his conception to the moment of his baptism and beyond. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we'll clear some of that up. Ephesians 5.18, another verse you're very familiar with. Do not get drunk with wine or on wine, a verse many of us refuse to memorize. Do not get drunk on wine, (laughs) which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, You've, you've heard this said, but why make that connection? Why the connection with getting drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit? It's not just because the Ephesians had a problem with drunkenness. They did. But there's something going on here in terms of the description of the filling. 
This is a gentleman who at the time was filled with wine or some, some kind of substance. I'm not really sure. This is Glenn Campbell in one of his bad days. Um, this is, what, this is uh, an, an actual arrest picture, not a happy camper. Um, he was under the influence. He was filled with something. Um, not the Holy Spirit, I don't believe, at the time. This is the picture that Paul is giving of what it means to be filled. Why he uses the connection to being filled with wine. Anybody in here ever been filled with wine or some substance of the sort? Go ahead. It's, it's okay. We're just guys. I'm going to take down names. Um, <laughs> when you are under the influence of alcohol, of drugs, anything like that, what happens? You say things you don't normally say. You do things you wouldn't normally do. You walk up to women you would normally not talk to, and you find out later, we're not near as attractive as you thought they were um, (laughs) because you were under the influence. Your capacities are not necessarily under your control. You drive, and you're not really the one driving because the alcohol is controlling your responses and your decision-making. See, that's what he's saying here is that to be filled with the Spirit means to be under the control of the influence of the Spirit. It carries the idea of control. So when, when you say someone is filled with the Spirit, I can be indwelled by the Spirit and not be filled by the Spirit. I do it every day. So do you. If the Scriptures are true, I have the Holy Spirit living within me, but I can live my entire day under the control of something else other than the Holy Spirit. Me, for instance, the flesh, my own will, my own desires, the, the promptings of the world, the temp- temptations of the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the enemy. Those three things can control me, and I can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and not be filled by the Holy Spirit, not under the control. It has to do with daily living. This is where it gets really practical. It's about how you live your life. When you make decisions, are you making them based on the filling of the Holy Spirit? Is he controlling you? Or do you stiff arm the Holy Spirit? You know, you read your Bible and it says to do something. You go, man, that's really convicting. No. Not going to do it. Don't want to do it. Sounds uncomfortable. Sounds like something I don't want to do. Then you are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. What if Jesus had done that? What if 10 days into his temptation in the, in the wilderness and, or 10 days into the, the fasting, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of hungry here. I am the son of God. I really don't want to do this. I'm done. You know, he could have done that. He could have given in to the flesh. He had 100% flesh, but he didn't. Why? Because he was filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it has to do with daily living. It's a requirement for growth. You want to grow, you've got to be under the control of the Holy Spirit or you will never grow in your walk. You may become better educated. You may learn more scripture. You may go to a dozen Bible studies and you may know more scripture than anybody sitting around you, but you will not grow as a Christian and mature if you don't come under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Hey, guys, if you think about it, if you feel like it today, 
Think about being filled by the Holy Spirit. No, it's be filled. It's a command. And it's a repetitive command. Keep on being filled. You don't do it once. It's not a second blessing. You can't walk up to me, Ted, or any other pastor in the church and go, hey, fill me. You know, I just, I don't feel filled today. And I smack you upside the head and you walk away filled. That's not how this works. It is a repetitive experience of continually giving over to the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. Is it easy? No. If it's easy, anybody do it. It's difficult. It's hard because it goes against the flesh. And it is a choice that you have to make. I have to make. But it's available anytime. You get up from the table when we're done here and you can, you can say, today I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. I want to live my life filled by the Holy Spirit. It is a choice you will make. Or you will choose to, I don't want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I want to be controlled by what I want to be controlled by, me. So it's a choice. But it's anytime you want it, it's there for the taking. What are the conditions, real quickly? It has nothing to do with asking to be filled. This was a revolutionary thing for me uh, when I discovered it a number of years ago because I spent so many years of my, my life praying prayers like, you know, Lord, fill me today. Lord, fill me today. Fill, fill me up today. Lord, fill me today. And I'd live my day the way I lived all my days, full of me. It, I don't have to ask to be filled, okay? It involves dependence, it, it involves dependence. See, we want to ask. It's like anything else. You know, Lord, make me more holy. Lord, make me patient. Lord, make me this. Lord, make me that. Have you ever gotten those prayers answered? I haven't. Anytime I pray for patience, all I get is trouble. All I get is heartache. All I get is heartburn. All I get is problems. I got my prayer answered. I just didn't get it the way I wanted. I want this special anointing of patience, so I just get up and I'm just patient with everything. I want to be more loving. I want to be this. I want to be that. Lord, make me this. No, that's not how it works. It involves dependence, the very thing we don't like as men. Dependence. Dependence. Dedicating yourself for God's use and control. Saying, God, I'm yours. Use me. I will do whatever you want me to do. You want to lead me into the wilderness for 40 days? Okay. Doesn't sound real appealing. Don't think I'm going to like it. Would rather do something else, but you know what? Okay, it's dependence. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You struggle with a sinful nature? We all do? Then live by the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You struggling with the flesh? Live by the Spirit. Say, I will dedicate myself to whatever the Spirit tells me to do. It involves obedience. The second thing none of us really like to do. Anybody like to obey? Unless it's what you want to do? We are not prone to want to obey. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench or put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit's fire. How do we do that? By being unyielded. By being disobedient. By saying, I don't want to do it. By saying no to the Holy Spirit. When He speaks into your heart, when you read the Scriptures and it's, clearly tells you something you should do it says pray and you don't want to pray it says share and you don't want to share it says do this and you don't want to do that you are saying no to him and you're unwilling to do his will you have just quenched the spirit he's there but he's not in control 
Why would we do that? But we do it. We limit God's work through us when we set limits on our obedience. You ever do that? Yeah, God, I'll do that, but only so far. Only so much. Um, you're getting too, that's too heavy. That's too, you're expecting too much of me. And so we put limits, and it quenches, it puts out the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's there, but he's not in control. And it's just really sad that we live our lives that way. The remedy is having the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Having the mind of Christ. Humility, obedience, and service. That's the remedy. It's saying, okay, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to do what you say, even though it means humility. It means I don't get to be the leader. It means I don't get to be the big shot. I don't get recognized. You know what? If that's what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. That's exactly what Jesus did every day of his life. He was the son of God and he humbled himself, took on human flesh, and he walked among us and he served us and he died for us. Humility, obedience, service. Quit saying no. Quit stiff-arming the Holy Spirit in your life. It also involves not grieving the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? And that basically means just pain Him. You, you cause Him pain. He is the third person of the, the Trinity, and He's in your life, and He's watching you live your life. And it just pains him. Like when you watch your son or your daughter do stupid things and you go, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. But even more so for him because when you're looking on the Internet and you're looking at something improper or you're looking at lusting after some woman, the Holy Spirit's in you. He's watching you and he is totally grieved by what you're doing. He is pained. because Not because he's disappointed, but because I have so much more I want to do with your life. And you're getting that kind of pleasure when I want to give you this kind of pleasure. He's pained. He's grieved. He's pained by acts of willful sin in my life and in your life. Those grieve him. Willful sin. I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know if I click on this site, I'm going to see some stuff that's going to lead me to something else. It's going to make me think thoughts that I don't want to think. I'm going to do it anyway. Willful sins grieve the Holy Spirit. Sins we stubbornly cling to that we refuse to let go of like a dog with a rag. You can't get it out of our mouth. And we'll bite you if you try to. Those are the things that grieve him. The presence of sin grieves him, specifically sins of speech. If you go back to Ephesians 4, you don't have to look there, but listen to this. These are the verses that book in, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. See, it's bookended by all these speech words, you know, that wrath and anger and malice and bitter speech and unwholesome things coming out of our mouth. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit when we gossip, when we slander, when we say wrong about others, when unwholesome things come out of our mouth, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Why? Because it is His temple, and this stuff is coming out of Him, out of His temple, and He is out of control. How embarrassing is that? It's like, again, take your kids. When your kids do stuff that embarrass you, you get impacted by that because that's my son. 
That's my daughter. She just did something that totally embarrassed our family and drug our name in the dirt. That is how the Holy Spirit feels. Because it's His temple. And it's coming out of His temple. The remedy is confession of our sins. Confession of our sins. 1 John 1.19 Confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that puts the Holy Spirit back in control. It involves walking by the Spirit. That word walking just has to do with living your daily life. Walking according to His path. We do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 4. Walk according to the Spirit. If we live as a result of salvation, in other words, salvation gives us new life. If we live by new life, by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Salvation is great, guys. I am so glad I'm going to heaven, but I've got a lot of years to live, I hope, before that takes place. I need to walk by the Spirit now. Live my life according to the power and the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been called to do. So what are the results? Pretty basic stuff. Christ-likeness. You will be like Christ, our example, because that's what he was. You can go over to Galatians 5.22, look at the fruits of the Spirit. Patience, humility, kindness, gentleness, meekness. Look at all of those fruits of the Spirit. Those things will begin to be produced in your life. You don't have to manufacture them. Any fruit of the Spirit I have manufactured has lasted maybe a day, usually not that long. If they're truly of the Spirit, they will last and they will have impact. It will result in worship and praise. You will want to praise God more. The consequences of being filled are singing and thankfulness. You will want to sing praise songs in your car as bad as your voice may be. You will sing louder on Wednesday mornings when we sing here as bad as your voice may be as high as the song may be. You will sing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you and the Holy Spirit wants to praise the Father and the Son. That's the stuff that will begin to happen. He will teach us. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. The Scriptures will take on all new meaning and light. You will get excited about studying the Bible. It will not be a burden. It will not be a chore. You will actually enjoy the process. He'll make known the truth of God as you study the Word to you. You'll read it, and suddenly you'll say, man, I've never seen that before. That is exciting. And the other thing that will happen, and it's the reason I teach, is when I read the Scriptures, I see things, and I've got to tell somebody. And my wife got tired of me telling her. So I tell you. Because otherwise, I will literally implode. I find stuff, and I just got to tell somebody. I got to, you know, I tell my kids in the car. I'm taking them to school, and they get tired of it. You're getting tired of it, but I'm going to continue to tell as long as somebody listens. I'll go teach the little kids. I'll teach in the nursery. They can't go anywhere. I will teach. Why? Because you've got to tell what you learn. And many of you don't have anything to tell because you're not excited about the Scriptures. You will be when you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. He will assist us in our prayer life. And man, do I need help with this. I need help with this because prayer comes so hard for me. But here's the exciting thing. Even as hard as it is, is for me to pray sometimes, he intercedes. He intercedes. He speaks on my behalf. Even when I can't even get the words out, he intercedes. That's the role he plays. And then he's going to empower us for service. This is what he did for Jesus Christ. 
He empowered him for service. Service which utilizes the powers he's given us, your gifts, your talents. He will empower you. So what's the Monday morning application as we close this thing up? Number one, it's not a feeling, it's a fact. You have the Holy Spirit within you whether you feel like it or not. If you go off your feelings, you're in trouble. Secondly, you're permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is permanent. He's there. He's not going anywhere. You can't scare him off. He's not like a lousy friend. He is there for life if you are a believer. Sin can limit his effectiveness, though. It's like, guys, the best illustration I've ever heard of this is if you've got a brand-new car with a V8 engine and it's full of gas and you push it everywhere you go. And you're bragging about, man, I got this car and it is so powerful. Look at this car. It'll go from zero to to 60 in like five seconds. It is amazing. And you push it everywhere you go. That's the way we live our Christian life. I got the Holy Spirit within me and I'm pushing everywhere. I'm so exhausted and I'm so tired. But I brag about the fact, man, I am indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Look at me. And they look at me and go, Look at what? You're exhausted. You're tired. You're not even happy. You lack joy. I don't want that. I don't want what you have. We are pushing instead of getting in the car and enjoying what the car can do. What the power of the car can do. He's the engine of the Christian life. He's the source of our spiritual strength. But we can turn off that strength. We can quench him. We can shun him. We can stiff arm him. And we do it on a regular basis. Well, guys, let me close this in prayer. Again, as we close, just take a second to think about whether you are being led by the Holy Spirit. Are you filled under the control of, under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You don't have to ask for it. You just have to to surrender to it. It's like turning the key in the car. It will come to life. Because he's promised it. Would you be willing right now just to say, Holy Spirit, I surrender to your control right now. Tell him, I'm going to try to obey you today. Because I want you in the driver's seat. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. Father, I pray that today we would walk out of this room committed to the fact your Holy Spirit indwells us and he wants to fill us to overflowing. He has given us gifts that many of us don't even know we have and many of us who know we have them don't even use them. And Father, we are not making an impact. 
but we should. And there's no reason that we can't. May we be like Jesus Christ, the God-man. May we be filled. May we be indwelled. May we be under the power of, the anointing of, the direction of, led by, fed by, conceived by the Holy Spirit every single day. And may we win the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. May we walk by, live by the Spirit. Show us how to do that. Jesus, you did it, and we can do it. And it's going to be amazing to watch what happens when we do. We give you this day. We give you these men. We give you the the election. We give you the future. We give you the economy. We give you this church. We give you our homes, our lives, our families, our wives, our cars, our finances. We give you everything this morning, and we just ask that you would use us to make a difference in the world in which you've placed us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and our example of what a real man looks like. Amen.